Welcome to Creative Conversations with Roger Humphrey. In this episode, my guest is David Klein. David is a trumpeter, band leader, and educator. We've been colleagues for, I don't know, about 20 years, and we've had great conversations nearly every week. We're joining this one in progress. When I got a new doctor here in town, I, and it was asking me all those questions, and one of the questions was, how do you picture yourself? Oh. So I drew a picture of myself. <laughs> and then they asked me, four computers had taken over everything. She opens up my file directly to the page where I had drawn that photo. <laughs> then she said, drop your pants, and that was it, you know. <laughs> and the and then the procedure got started. Yeah, it's it. I, I think you know. I we we are smart, Alex, by nature. But I think also um, uh, we tend to think about things in a different way, um, and it, that kind of informs that a little bit. I just uh, will sometimes, and it's like like when if I'm watching television with my wife, and there will be a show that will come on or a, a commercial that will come on or something, and there's something about it that is just so wrong you just kind of look at it and go are you kidding me <laughs> you know? and what's worse is that that my wife now she'll she'd yell she'll yell at me just we just shut up it's just it's just a television show just relax well now she's doing the same thing she says <laughs> look at that girl in last scene the last scene she had her her purse draped over her shoulder now it's a clutch <laughs> oh, I love pointing out those mistakes. I love it. It's really like a lot of fun. And, and uh, Susan, I went to it goes, wasn't she doing that? No, she was wearing something else just a second ago. She knows. Right. So yeah, it's and it's, it's, it, you just kind of stop and go, what? You know. So anyway, <laughs> and I think a lot of people, it's not that they don't notice it. I, I, I think they, they might, but I think some, some folks are more, they don't notice it. They just kind of follow the storyline. They don't really notice those little details. But, um, but I, I just think that, you know, art, artsy people are fun to hang out with. Well, they're not bad, you know. I, I put up with them my whole life. I think, do people, do people in the arts really sit and think about certain things, or are our minds constantly at work with a lot of different things? And, you know, is, is, is that, I, I guess you could call it where you don't get to sleep at night, and I, I've had those eras, periods of my life where I would be up till 3 o'clock, 3.30, and just everything rolling in my head. Yeah, I have a hard time turning it off. You yeah. know? And, uh, and as a matter of fact, for me, it's the other way around. I wait till I go to, to when I go to bed at night. I'm usually so tired I can't hardly stand up, and uh, and then I'll wake up about four or five in the morning or six in the morning, and and, and this morning is a good example. I woke up at six o'clock this morning, and uh, uh, and my and all of a sudden I just had you know I, my brain was awake. It was like here we go, you know. And it's just like oh man, you know. And it's just and and it's just stupid stuff. But you know, it's, I'll. And you know, I'll start thinking about this problem or that problem or some something that somebody said, and can't shut it off. I mean, I'll go back to bed, back to sleep, rather, or try to go back to sleep, and I'll lay there for half an hour, and I'm just like, time to get up, you know. 
So the vaudeville troupe that I've been work that I've worked with in the past, they're reactivating things this year, later on this year, maybe sometimes, maybe a few things in the spring. And so as soon as vaudeville rolls around, all of a sudden there are like three thousand things going on about that. One of which, of course, is what songs can we use for this type of routine? What song for this type of routine? So I'm mm -hmm. going all over this in my head. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's kind of like I'm rehearsing every single problem that might occur <laughs> and how to solve it. Of course, the problems that do happen are of the 5,000 you've thought about, this isn't <laughs> one of them. And so it's, it's, it's kind of, fun, how do I deal with it? How do I deal with a dancer who's going to be doing some fairly off-the-beat things, you know, sure. um, that you wouldn't normally find on TV, and how do I sit there and make the music work for that? And it's, it's a hit-and-miss thing. Sure. You yeah. know, yeah. and one time, um, one of the entertainers, jugglers, magician type guy, he said, well, I'm going to be, I want something Herb Alpert-like for this number I'm doing. And he kind of briefly described it to me, he went, okay, okay, we don't do any Herb Alpert, but hey, let's do this music that Quincy Jones wrote in the early 60s that many years later would be used as a theme to those uh, wacky um, spy movies starring Mike Myers. Oh, okay. Okay, and... Very simple thing. It's it's basically a bossa nova based over a twelve bar blues. Okay. So we so I just said, listen, here's the melody. The rhythm section played a twelve bar blues. Very easy melody. Well, I hadn't seen the sketch yet. So we're playing down in Jackson at the big theater down there. And he was doing this hyper intense routine, and he was wearing solid pink. <laughs> And it worked out. It was a perfect match. Oh wow! <laughs> it was just one of these things that, you know, and he, it was it was an on the spot thing, and it worked so well. We were not able to duplicate it. <laughs> I think you get up in the middle of the night and you worry about this stuff. But I, I, I I've said it. For, you've heard me say it for years that that um, uh, we work really, 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 really hard to make it look easy. So therefore, people think it is. <laughs> and we're kind of victims of our own success sometimes, but but uh, but yeah, it's that's kind of cool when that all. And then we talk about it. it's like, wow, did you see that? That worked out awesome. You know? Right. Well, it's really funny. I mean, like with the recent death of Terry Jones from Monty Python. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been talking about Monty Python again, and I always keep forgetting. Those guys were highly educated, Cambridge, Oxford. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, and, oh my gosh, you know, that's what it takes to do it. They, they have to be that intelligent. But the great comedy writers here in America weren't educated like those guys were. Right. They were just streetwise educated guys. Sure. Uh, with men and women that were involved with this, they just kind of like went into it. And, but they were like their English counterpart, they were extremely well-read. Yeah. That's one thing that falls. All these great com comedy writers and comedians, right. they were extremely well-read. Yeah, so their, their education may have may very well have been self-educated. Right. 
But they they were they and you're right, being well read. And some of these guys, boy, they can quote the classics. I mean, and quote them. Right. Oh, that's it's amazing. And so Jerry Lewis one time he was um, filling in for Johnny Carson on the old Tonight Show, mm-hmm. and spending a week, I think, or something like that, as the host of the Tonight Show. And so he used uh, uh, he did his monologue one night. The next night. He comes out, and of course, you don't. He can be prickly, <laughs> big time. <laughs> and so, so anyway, he came out. Well, one of the one of the critics in one of the papers had criticized him for the misuse of a word. You know, he'd he'd used a particular word in the monologue, and this guy kind of jumped on him about it. You know, because it it means this. It doesn't mean that. And Jerry walks out there. And he's got a dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) And he opens it up and he said, let me explain something to you. You're right. It does mean this. You're wrong. It also means this. <laughs> and I thought, man, you don't you don't want to go toe to toe with Jerry Lewis. You, you don't want to go toe to toe with you're any. Gonna, you're comedian. gonna lose that. Oh yeah, you're gonna lose that war. You know. <laughs> oh, oh my but, I mean, gosh. He, he did, but I mean, and it was like it was like it was it was like one of the L.A. papers, and I mean, they worked him over pretty good for that. And man, he came back the next night, and he had his pound of flesh. There was no ends of or buts about <laughs> it. And, and uh, but yeah, it comes back to the idea. That that regardless of their formal education, these guys were smart. They were well read, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, and a lot of them still are today. Depending on who you're talking to, I mean, right? I, Sarah Silverman, I think, is very well read. Uh huh. Um, and and you know, regardless of what people think about her, I, I I've always liked her point of view. There, one of her books, um, I think it was Bedwetter, which I really never read, but I, I looked through it once in a bookstore, and. She had a bunch of pictures of herself, and the and 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 and, and the headline for the for one particular photograph was her, of, and she was very young with a bunch of girlfriends on a little league team, and it's obvious which one is her, you know you can just tell by the laugh and the grin, it's her, and the caption she put was, the name of this game is try to find the Jew. You know, it's it's, it's kind of like it's kind of <laughs> like that, you know. But um, you know, these comedians are always so incredibly creative. You know, and 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 uh, on the other side, with so many great comedians, second half of the twentieth century had a love affair with jazz. Yeah, they all I mean, so many, including Jerry Lewis. They loved jazz. But jazz, I think, and their comedy were very closely related. And they would take an idea and they would riff on mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. You know, so where a jazz musician will take a melody and riff on the melody, mm-hmm. uh, these comedians could take an idea and riff on that idea. And some of these guys could go on for 20 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. on, you know, just with the same. And they could have you just, I mean, in pain from laughing so hard. But they were they were very good at what they did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can, I I see that 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 uh, connection there. Oh yeah, it's 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 very interesting. And I think comedy people before second half of the twentieth century liked swing and jazz. But second half of the twentieth century, they fell in love with the creative stuff that you know people like Miles Davis and John Coltrane and all those cats were doing, and they kind of fell into that and the first great one of course was Lenny Bruce he was so associated 
yeah. with jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was because he was the clubs he was playing at at the time were also great jazz clubs, and or did feature. But, well, I also I also wonder too because a lot of the um, the great jazz players of the pre-war and 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 just immediate post-war years, um, uh, a lot of the, these were bigger bands, and and then when you start getting into uh, the late '50s and early '60s, um, the, a lot of the, these jazz guys were working in trios and quartets and quintets, much smaller bands, right. and and so they had to be a little lighter on their feet. So I think that that um, if you were a comic in uh, in the post-war years um, in New York, usually New York, um, you were probably either doing radio or movies or vaudeville. And everything was everything was v very well, very very specifically laid out. You couldn't do a vaudeville, you couldn't do your vaudeville act by by improvising. You had everything had to be pretty well oh, timed. Yeah. And so so and same with the radio. So everybody's following a script. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the '60s, and you can throw, you can rip the script up and throw it out if you want, which is what Lenny Bruce did. Right. You know. So I think that that I think that 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 makes a lot of sense to me to do something like that. Music got. I don't want to say smaller, but the, the groups were smaller. Everything from rock and roll to mm -hmm. jazz. Well, I think somebody somebody said they passed some laws in in New York City, and, and they passed laws in New York City um, saying that the um, the live music clubs, a lot of live music clubs, uh, couldn't have more than three musicians on stage at a time, or four musicians on stage <laughs> at a time. And, and 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 what they were trying to do was they were trying to it was it was discriminatory. What they were trying to do is is shut down the the, the black big bands, and mm -hmm. and um, uh, and so so they were trying to you know trying to make these um, you know more. They were trying to shut off the blacks. A lot of a lot of musicians. You had to you had to have a cabaret card back then. Okay. Um, and I think it was Bobby Hutcherson, great jazz vibe player, who has since passed away. I saw him at a concert once. Um, and he was telling about how he had problems getting his card, his, his cabaret card, and holding on to it uh, because it was just, the discrimination was just going on like crazy, of course. Yeah. Then they got rid of the cabaret card thing. Thank goodness on that one. But I think that had, I think they had a real... A real strong effect on the size of the groups, and they kind of went I from. I doubt it. You know, I mean, you also have the economic effects. You know, mm -hmm. you know, of paying ten people instead of three. You know, but but the, the, you started running into these these piano trio things, um, right. and stuff like that more so. So I think you start getting into it, it, your jazz starts becoming a little more open and and allowing for a lot more, and then which in turn flies. You know, goes over to the. Uh, uh, to the, to the comedies, the comedians, you know. Right. So I think yeah, I think there was a real strong affinity. I, I don't know. It's it's, it's I've I've only seen it in movies. These old comedians that had a jazz combo behind them playing at that kind of like at the same oh. time. That was kind of always cool to watch. That some of them, lot, you, you saw it a lot more with I mean, poets, but you saw it with jazz too sometimes. Well, some of the some of the comedians could also sing and dance pretty well, and so they kind of want to showcase everything, sure. you know, so that they could get, they get so that they could get work. I mean, but uh, I mean, you take a look at Bob Hope and and as as a quick example of of a guy who, you know, 
he was a pretty fair hoofer in his day, and uh, and he and he sang. Now nobody ever accused Bob Hope of being a great singer, but he could sing, and he could, oh, and yeah. and, uh, and he he danced extremely well as well as telling jokes. So it was a full package, and that's that they kind of had to do that. So if you're going to go out on stage. Uh, and you're trying to fill up a room. If you've got a s small group there, you can sing a song, dance a dance, yeah. you know, tell yeah. your jokes, and put on a whole show. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm getting. I'm, I'm excited to get to be getting back into uh, vaudeville. It's going to be a very interesting time, and um, and uh, doing all the things that we were doing, and it's always very fast paced. Very, you know, a lot of things are unexpected will happen. And so you have to really use your creativity. How big a group is it? It varies from night to night. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's the band. We've had between five and eight players. But how many performers? I mean, not, not just the players, but I mean, because oh, you're on dealing stage, on stage. It all depends. Usually for, usually for the core group, it's around five or six people. Okay. And... Um, and so, it, but it always, uh, we always have extras. You know, you've got the main three or four people that are doing the comedy and doing the routines. Uh -huh. and But you've also got, you know, the magicians, the jugglers, the exotic dancers, um, some people who just sing, some, sing, sing some songs. Mm -hmm. And you got people who can do quite a bit of everything. And um, I had, when I was living in Chicago years ago, I heard some street musicians, these two women, and they sang the theme to Rawhide. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that sounds cool. That was really cool, you know? And they did it well. So years ago, I was sitting there and I said, I want to do, I heard these, I told them the story, but I heard two women in Chicago sing theme to Rawhide. They had changed the front, they, they had Jane changed the gender of what, you okay. know. It was, so we did it. <laughs> it was kind of fun. It didn't do it exactly what I wanted to, but you know, we just—it was just a matter of time and couldn't fit it into a certain sketch. But it was kind of really fun to do it. Now, is that the same? Is, 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 if I'm remembering, didn't they do that in the Blues Brothers? Yeah, yeah, Rawhide in the first film. Yeah, in the first film. Right, and it's. Uh, but I actually kind of stayed away from that that version of it. Yeah, uh, but I mean, right? It was, they did it, and uh, Frankie Lang did a great cover of it. Yeah, sure. And of course, and uh, and you know that story. Years later, when Mel Brooks was doing Blazing Saddles, yeah, he put an ad out. Said, "Want somebody to do an imitation, a kind of sound like Frankie Lane, to do the theme to this movie I'm putting together." So Frankie Lane shows up, <laughs> and he did it. He didn't know what the movie was about. He was a very pious man, and, um, and so, uh, uh, but um, That's funny. he showed up to do the audition. <laughs> I mean, that's perfect. He well, got you, it too. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like like um, uh, Linda Ronstadt was in an interview uh, talking about her uh, her career recently. You know, and. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about when she did the, uh, she did an album of all, all the old standards. The three of them. Yeah, but she said the very first one, um, she said, you know, she was talking to her producer and she said, what I want to do, she said, I want arrangements the way, I want to get an arranger who could, could do the way Nelson Riddle arranged for Sinatra. She said, that's really what I want. Find me somebody who can arrange like Nelson Riddle. And, <laughs> and, and he said, how about if we just ask Nelson Riddle? 
And who she was went, at a low part in his career at the time. And she went. She did. She and she said, "I didn't even know he was still alive." So they snagged him, and he did great charts for her, you know. But it was yes, one of those one of those things. <laughs> yeah, he, he, it was it was uh, that first album that Ronstadt did with Nelson Riddle was something else. Oh. Then they did two more equally as good, mm -hmm. and I think of the th of the three albums, her singing of Skylark. I don't remember that. Oh gosh! And Nelson Riddle did this arrangement. It starts out with this very airy type string thing that he would that he had yeah. been doing for types sure. of years, yeah. and all of a sudden you hear something, and all of a sudden something comes out of these strings, and it's a harmonica, of all things. And okay, only Nelson Riddle could make it fit, and he did, <laughs> and he did it. And R Nelson Riddle's always been one of my favorite arrangers. Because he was so, and he was a by the book person too on so many issues. Yeah. But he was an amazing person. And, you know, when you hear the albums he did with Ronstadt, and, you know, it's, it was just wow. And, uh, and shortly after, when he was doing these albums, uh, Ronald Reagan had his second inauguration. And this is the one where. Frank Sinatra was hired to be the MC, and he, he said, I'd only do it if I could bring in Rickles. And I think somewhere along the deal, he said, I have to bring in Nelson Riddle. So there was Nelson Riddle, you know, and of, you know, Don Rickles did his most famous routine at that inauguration, but there was Nelson Riddle just being there. That's, and, I think that's cool. And it just, you know, and of course, around six, seven months after that inauguration, he passed away. But during that low part in his life, he wrote an orchestration book. Oh. That's really interesting, and I have it. And, you know, he's, he's a, he was a very by-the-book person on so many ways that he did things. But it was a, you know, back to this whole thing about being very creative, it was a very creative you know, by the book thing he did. You know, I've I've thought one of the things that I've always I've I've always kind of maintained is some of the 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 most creative things I've ever heard were people who I don't want to say thought outside of the box because I don't like that phrase, but people who worked w within the rules mostly. That the things that where people have just taken a rule book and set fire to it and said I'm going to do what I want to and it doesn't matter. It, 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 you can write it off as creative, but it mostly sounds chaotic, and whether it's music or art or whatever it is. But every once in a while, you get somebody who understands very well, and they work within that other than. And it's like the strings with a harmonica in there. It's like harmonicas don't belong with strings, and yet here it is, and it does. And he made it work. And 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 that that you know, but you're still doing something very much by the book. You know, I mean, uh, I, I look at Johann Sebastian Bach and. And, uh, and everything, for his times, everything was by the book. Everything was, mm -hmm. you know, and yet, I mean, he wasn't doing anything that much more innovative than his contemporaries were, but my God, he was doing it better than everybody else. Well, it was Igor Stravinsky, after being criticized, I think it was Stravinsky, that people said, you know, why aren't you following the rules of this? He goes, I am following the rules. I simply expanded them. Yeah, you know, and as far as you know, and so 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 many of these people, when when you say, 
you know, oh, they, you know, they, they kind of think outside the box. For a lot of these people, they never were in the box. Right. <laughs> and so there was nothing to go out. So they always were kind of really out there. But, you know, it's it's during those years when Sinatra and, and Riddle did, you know, they did several albums together. Um, my favorite jazz trumpet player was part of that inner group. Guy by the name of Sweets Edison, okay, Harry, yeah. Harry Edison, mm -hmm. played with Basie in the '40s. Um, settled in Los Angeles, where he became one of the most creative session men of all mm -hmm. time. And he wasn't one of these loud, blaring trumpet players, but what he did was so amazing. So anyway, there's a great story. I mean, and Sinatra was just in awe of Harry Edison. So Edison did a lot of the muted trumpet solos. And, you know, both Sinatra and Nelson Riddle were my way or have a nice day. <laughs> and uh, they would bring in Sweets Edison. They'd set him over over in a corner with the macro and they'd say, do what you can to make it better. They'd, that's That was their, you know, they always felt he could do something. They didn't need to tell Harry Edison what to do. Well, you know, I, I'm going to paraphrase myself here for a second if I can. Okay. Um, but um, uh, I've, I've, in, my, in my particular case, um, I've never considered myself a guitar player. Um, uh, I consider myself a musician. A guitar to me is a tool, mm -hmm. like a wrench. Mm -hmm. you know, I think that I, when I look at uh, people out here in our business, and I'll, I'll, I'll do that with the, with the trumpet now, there are a lot of trumpet players out there, but Edison wasn't one of them. He was a musician. A trumpet was just his axe. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah. and I think when when Nelson Riddle and and Frank Sinatra saw this, you know, most of the time they're dealing with trumpet players. Play this note. Play this note. Play this note. And the trumpet players would do a great job on it. Mm -hmm. But Edison was so good as a musician that he could just. They knew that the musician was going to take over and was going to make the right notes in the right place because he understood. Uh, yeah, I you mean, know what I mean. As yeah. opposed, as opposed to being, and 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 I don't want to denigrate any of the anybody else like that. I mean, you know that 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 you know the the trumpet players versus the musicians or the guitar players versus the musicians. I I just think it's a different way of looking at it. I know a lot of guitar players that play way better than I do. I mean, way better than I do. And and uh, and they could sit down and they can play all of these Broadway shows and things like that. And I can't do that. I don't have those kind of chops. I don't read that well. I don't play that well. My background isn't that much. But at the same time, when I listen to them trying to do solo stuff, or I listen to them, try, you know, if they don't have the notes in front of them, their soloing is kind of uh, predictable, and uh, and their 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 creativity just that the. Give them the notes, and they will give the or give them the chord charts, and they will give you a performance that you can take to the bank each and every time, you know. And well, uh, you look at the musicians that were in the Basie's band when Harry Edison was in the band. You were talking Lester Young, uh, anyway. But you know, Dickie Wells trombone, um, and a host of other incredible musicians. That this was who. Edison was with day in day out you know of course that masterful rhythm section led by you know you had Cal Basie there Freddie Green or Joe Jones you know it was just this amazing group oh, and yeah. that's that's where he came from and you think about that you know there's a great interview of Clark Terry 
talking about Basie and about why Basie was the way he was. It was I think the words uh, Clark Terry said was space and air. It was you listen to Basie and it was just he could take a break for a few measures and it was always right there. <laughs> and it was the most perfect, you know, it was not always what he was playing the notes wise, but exactly he would pause from things. Yeah, I, that's that and that's that's real music. It's you know, it's it's sort of like sort of like a painter who knows how to use white. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. a good musician knows how to use silence and, yeah. and, and perform silence well, yeah, so that's, that's very cool. <laughs> I, th I think back to a lot of those musicians, and of course so many of them are so good, so they fed off of one another. You know, you got, you know it's not just that he was, he was good because of these other guys, but these other guys were good because of him. I mean, they all, they all kind of pushed each other along, you know. And I mean, if if you were having an off day, you know you're going to take it in the neck. I mean, people are going to be on yard, you know. So you have to keep your game up. You've got to be on top of it, you've, you know. And and uh, in order to in order to stay with, you know. And so it, you just get better and better and better at what you do. You, right. You try harder a little bit. We know we just lost Jack Sheldon. Yeah. One of the great jazz trumpet players. And a lot of young people know him as doing schoolhouse rock and right. all that mm -hmm. stuff, but. Jack Sheldon, to me, represented something that very few musicians have, and it's it was it was something so incredible that I mean, he was a personality on stage, right? You know, like Clark Terry, like Dizzy Gillespie, and of course Louis Armstrong. They were personalities on stage, right? And you know, you don't have to be. That much, like Jack Sheldon was all over the place. He he was a better comedian than most of the great comedians. But you know, when he picked up that trumpet, there was something spectacular about it. And and like a lot of the law West Coast guys, of you know, playing, and they were doing the movies. They knew how to sit there and do different things and get different emotions out. Uh huh. You know, I mean, like Jack Sheldon was known for his rapid fire playing, but my gosh, you hear him play, you know, The Shadow of Your Smile in the movie uh, The Sandpiper. That's incredible. And, you know, and Sheldon, back in the late 50s, early 60s, he was around some really interesting people uh, in Los Angeles, really interesting trumpet players. Uh, he was around uh, Don Fagerquist. The Candoli brothers, Pete and Candoli, and Pete and Conti Candoli. And Pete Candoli's always been one of my favorite players. He was Henry Mancini's main trumpet player. But trombone players like Frank Rossellino. And and so and you hear their recordings, especially their live recordings they did back in the fifties and sixties. That was amazing stuff. And you knew you could tell how they were feeding off each other. I've got I've got I have I have a recording of Sheldon. Live and Frank Frostlino is on the album. It's just wow, you know. It's just amazing because those two, both those two guys, were characters. And uh, and Don Fagerquist, who not too many people know about, especially younger people, but Fagerquist was uh, something that was really special in the trumpet player. And we lost him. Unfortunately, he had a substance abuse problem, and we lost him. And Wow, it was, it's kind of, you know, thank goodness for 
the internet. Now we can go and download this stuff and just listen to it and go, wow. Yeah, I think I think that's I, as I take a look at uh, YouTube is is a perfect example of, of so much stuff that's available that that uh, I mean I think I've seen and heard just about every note that Segovia ever recorded, you know, and but never had that option until YouTube, you know, yeah. and uh, and there's so much other music that's out there that that um, uh, and different musicians and and comedians and and a lot of stuff that's been. Uh, a lot of the early uh, television days, a lot of that stuff's been been uh, saved and posted, and, and uh, so I guess it doesn't really matter what you're interested in. It's there. But you're right. We're fortunate because we can go in and we can listen to this stuff. And um, uh, when I was when I was uh, teaching college, um, I used to have part of part of the syllabus every every semester uh, was a listing list of of ten ten musicians, and one a week they had to go to YouTube. I mean, how hard is that, right? To go go listen to music for you know five minutes a, a week or something like that, and then they had to give an oral report and uh, on that. But it that that never would have that was never really possible in the past. We had a listening library and they could go and listen to stuff, and so I could recommend things. But but here and I can say it's just just this huge, huge, huge catalog of stuff that's available for free. And you can, and you don't have to go to a special room and hope it's there. Right. You can just go online, stick your headphones on, and go. And uh, so, yeah, that's. What I wonder. I, I think a lot of teachers now that their their listening list isn't in the library. I think it's on YouTube now. Well, it's it's the handiest. I mean, it's and again, it's like like we used to have a listening lab, which meant that you had to go to the building, go into the lab, sit down to the table, you know, check out the the, the recording. And uh, and then you know most of these records are pretty scratched up by the time you got there you know mm -hmm. but you listen to them, and now you know you can stay at, stay in your dorm room, uh, put your headset on or you know and bring it up on YouTube and sit there and and listen, and you can do it in the comfort of your room. I mean, uh, and so at the, at the very least, uh, it's it's easy. Uh, in in addition to which, uh, you can't come in to me and tell me that the recording wasn't available. It was checked out. No one <laughs> heard that excuse. No one. No. 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 <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's because so of those listening rooms. I really don't like headphones anymore. Oh, I have so many problems with headphones. I, I have this incredible aversion to them. My father wanted to buy me for a birthday present many years ago a Walkman. I went. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, 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 I really have problems. Then he, years later, he wanted to buy me a nice radio thing with headphones. I went, no, thank you. I, I, I tend not to use them only because I don't need to. But if I'm doing, um, right. if I'm doing multi-track work and things like that, I've got to have them on. And I, I, I don't know that it's what I find is the entanglement of cords to be something of a nuisance. So if I don't have to use them, I don't. But, um, uh, but I, and I've got them sitting on my desk. And I use them once in a once in a great while, and if I'm traveling on a train or something, or sometimes I'm working out at home on an exercise, and I have to because I don't want to bother so she's out of sleeping or something. So, sure. I, but other than that, headphones to me are really oh they hurt, you know they really you know it's you know I they turn the volume down that'll help. Well, what what? <laughs> I'd like to thank David for taking the time to come on this program. As always, I managed to learn a bunch of stuff. 
I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did, and please take a moment and visit David at his band uh, website, heartlandklesmorum.com. If you enjoy my podcast, please come back often, recommend me to your friends, and even consider supporting it. Thank you so much for listening to Creative Conversations with Roger Humphrey.